Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, March the 25th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today, our Deputy Political Editor, Fia Kelly. Hi, Fia. Hello, Hugh. We haven't talked in a while, and the world has changed since we last talked, really. How's it been for you so far? Yeah, it's been odd. I I hadn't been out of my house for about two weeks uh, until two days ago when I went into Leinster House for a couple of press conferences, and even that was a a really odd experience we all stood around at like you know observing physical distancing on the plinth for two press conferences immediately went home to work and then again yesterday dash into town to do the press conference with the Taoiseach at home again so it's certainly been a an experience my company has been confined to a two-year-old for two weeks so I can, you can imagine I was a bit welcome of human contact over two days last two days yeah your situation is more difficult than mine because I have uh, certainly teenagers actually come into their own on an occasion like this they want to spend the time in the room anyway I think it's a lot easier to cope with than a two-year-old <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah it's quite the feat to enter keep them entertained and juggle you know my wife's work and all that but we're getting through it we're getting through it and are you, are you not managing to get out that much? Are you? I trying to get out. The most important part of my day is my my early morning walk. It's weather is beautiful. The trees are blossoming. The birds are in the sky. Everything's all right. In the, all right with the world for an hour or so before the full day begins. Yeah, I kind of do. So what basically happens is that myself and my wife have organised the day that more or less she works in the mornings because her job entails her being at her desk at seven a.m. and then I do the childcare until about lunchtime until she can come home and uh, then I work until like eight or nine in the evening as is the it's the old cycle of newspapers you kind of start later you finish later uh, but I do get out in the mornings uh, myself and my son get out like for an hour we go for a walk up the coast uh, you know it's it's it is the best part of the day sets you up and you just just to get out and get the fresh air yeah it is it is uh, needed Absolutely, it's really brilliant, and I think we probably all hope that that the uh, you know measures don't get even stricter as they have done in some countries where people aren't even permitted to leave their houses. I think because we live in a in a um, a culture that's more dispersed, our cities aren't as dense. We don't all live in apartment blocks. That we can reasonably hope that we won't have to arrive at that point. You would hope so. And li- listening to the comments from the Taoiseach yesterday and government ministers over the last few days, and speaking to people privately in government, they are very much of the view that. We need to have that, you know, access to public facilities, walkways, parks, beaches. Yes, there were problems with overcrowding in some areas of the country over the weekend, but I think that would be nearly the last thing that the government would want to do is to shut down those spaces where people are, as you say, going for fresh air, headspace, everything else. So I think there is an acknowledgement that that needs to remain in place and let's hope it remains that way. So let's talk about yesterday's measures, because obviously they're the latest in an incremental set of ramping up things, both in terms of uh, increasing isolation and social distancing, shutting down businesses, uh, putting various restrictions on people's movements and their activities. And on the other hand, providing financial supports for the many people who've lost their jobs, the many companies that are facing uh, facing bankruptcy, possibly if they're not if not, they're not supported. Um, 
it came very soon after the changes in the UK. The UK has swung far more widely than we have from one position to another. Ours does feel more incremental and, dare I say, more measured. Yeah, it's kind of been this steady build-up of measures. Obviously, a number of weeks ago, we had the closure of the schools, creches. Then we had the you know formal requesting that the pubs would close. And then after that, we saw kind of restaurants, cafes, large, more or less, although there were exceptions, fall into line. And then we saw the formalising of that yesterday with these extra restrictions. In a way, what happened yesterday, it was almost like a codifying of what the country has been observing over the last two weeks. So there was no, as you say, really kind of stricter, like I don't think anybody will see a real change from their life yesterday to today, apart from those who work in those non-essential services who are now shut down and whose jobs were at risk. I should say that, of course. But I think the day-to-day movement of people more or less will remain the same because this cap that the government had that you couldn't have any gatherings outside of more than 500 people or inside of more than 100 people, I would find it hard to believe that there were any gatherings of that nature and size over recent weeks. So what we saw yesterday was a downgrading of that to no gatherings outside of more than four people unless you're from the same household. I think what was happening yesterday was the recognition that in closing non-essential services, non-essential businesses, that there would be people whose jobs would be at risk and you had to go hand in hand with this massive massive financial package. So in order to encourage people to comply with what the government was asking yesterday, there had to be this package to say, we have your back. If you're in trouble, if you're a worker in trouble, if you're a business in trouble, we have your back with this huge 3.7 billion package. That's 3.7 billion over only 12 weeks. Like that's 300 million euro a week that's going to be sent, spent. Those are phenomenal sums of money. And I presume that the government still, you know, retains the the option and, and is considering the option on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis of shutting down all non-essential activities, which would include factories and construction sites, which are still open. Yes, like they have said, and their consistent position throughout this has been that they would be led by Tony Holohan and those on the National Public Health Emergency Team. And to be fair to them from soundings around the government, that seems to be the case. Like even speaking to people on Monday evening, uh, this was like, you know, hours before the cabinet meeting and hours before the uh, NFET, as it's called in the uh, insiderish jargon, National Public Health Emergency Team was to meet. And people centrally involved in this process in government were as yet unclear as to what NFET would actually recommend. They had an idea of what way uh, Tony Holohan would recommend, but they said, look, you know, we have to respect their independence and they do guard their independence very closely. So I think they are being led by them. Like I was struck by the fact that people who would, you would expect would know on Monday evening were going, look, I, I, I suspect this is what's going to happen, but I'm not entirely clear. And you would think that that group are keeping an eye on construction sites, on factories, because we saw calls from Mary Lou MacDonald and others for those type of facilities to close because it would be very hard to, as she said, observe physical distancing in some places. So for example, if it's a large building site, it is dispersed, people are diffuse, but if it's kind of a house renovation, how do you police that people are staying two metres away from each other? So I suspect that is being kept under wraps and there are further options to go. Like, if you compare it to what the UK has done, the, word, the teacher did just say the word lockdown was used by, Bar- by UK media and by others to describe what Boris Johnson had done. But he argued, well, actually what Boris Johnson announced isn't that far from what we're doing anyway. So I think like the next step would be a more strict, like, you know, French style regime where you can't even leave your house, but there's no indication that we're going there yet. And I think 
that that will, as they say, be guided by the science and the evidence. Is there some relief in Dublin and government circles that the whole of the island, at least, seems to be pretty much aligned now in terms of the policies that are being applied? There is. If you, if you look at what was said in recent weeks by Tony Holohan, by ministers and other, it was always the language of an all-Ireland approach. And while that was out of kilter for about a week or so when the schools south of the border were closed, but they weren't north of the border, there is now a relief that there's a, a somewhat of a uniformity across the island, although it's not entirely the same, it's broadly the same. And I think there, there is a kind of a recognition that that is what had to happen and it has largely happened now and that the North and South are in partnership, as it were. Now, we'll come to the huge sums of money that you were talking about in a, in a minute, but there are other measures which have been enacted in the last 24 hours only, which, had they been ever happened before in the history of the state, they would have been seen as the most some of the most significant landmarks in, in that history. For example, all private hospitals in the country have been taken under state control. Yeah, we basically have now what people on the left have called for for decades, and not just people on the left, others who have called for a single-tier health system we have that now in this emergency situation that the government has reached an agreement with private hospitals whereby the state will effectively run the private hospitals for the duration of this crisis. It's a temporary arrangement only. It means that anybody with private health insurance will not get preferential treatment if they present in this COVID emergency with symptoms of, of the, the virus. It is very much turning every private asset that is there in the health sector into a public asset. It is unprecedented in its scope. Not only that, we've pretty much seen the nationalisation of the childcare sector as well, that the state is now paying almost 100% of the childcare workers wages to keep them in the childcare system, that parents are no longer going to be paying fees for the duration of this crisis. That is a huge step as well. That is something that people in Sinn Féin were calling for in the general election and that was being poo-pooed as something that was impossible. Now, we must stress that these are temporary measures only like if you look at the legislation on the housing aspects, for example, which is the rent freeze, uh, the stay in evictions that you can't evict a tenant, that is for a 12-week period. So the emergency is defined and that legislation is a 12-week period, but to be extended. These are unprecedented measures and no doubt we will see a debate as this crisis continues and as it ends, as that this is the society we should be working towards. That's what people on the left will say, but I can't see if it's a Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael-led government they being permanent measures. First of all, they cost a lot, a lot of money. And this is for a temporary temp, uh, temporary measure only. So while these are unprecedented and it will be a sight to behold over the next few weeks as the state takes private sector businesses under its wing, I don't think we can expect it to, uh, to last indefinitely. On the other hand, the reality is that the, the world after this is going to be very different from the world before it. And it may be, um, it may go further down the line with, with uh, for example, a state-based child crash system, which is not an unusual thing in other parts of Europe, or indeed a, a universal healthcare system. That may or may not happen. And I, I take your point about, about Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. But we have a number of pieces in today's Irish Times in our opinion section in particular, one from David McWilliams, one from Michael McDowell, just starting to think about, which I think we all need to do, to think about what Ireland is going to be like after this, because there is going to be an after this. There is, certainly. And like the question is how the country changes throughout this. Do people get a taste for the more assertive state in the healthcare sector, the more assertive state in the childcare sector? And is that something that they want? Is that something that they will demand of the politicians that they keep in place? I don't think the, the thinking is really there yet. Like we saw these, you know, unprecedented measures on the economic side largely announced yesterday although there were 
steps towards it last week yesterday was the big announcement you know it, that will have to kind of develop and you know perlocate through the system and through the public over the next few weeks as to this is the way we want to go but we largely aren't having the debate about the cost the the, the kind of back and forth on this issue has been yes these are the services but how do you pay for them so while the kind of announcements yesterday were absolutely huge in their scope, we haven't yet got to the phase where if this goes on for a longer period of time, emergency budget has to be brought in, extra taxes will have to be raised almost certainly later in the year to pay for what's happening now. And then the debate about the trade-offs will have to happen. But it will be extremely interesting as it's reflected in the paper today and across a number of papers to see whether this experience colours that debate because we will have lived through how this could work rather than talking about it in theory. Now, there was a very significant change in in medical policy uh, yesterday, also late yesterday. The criteria by which people would be uh, submitted to a test uh, changed from um, one uh, element of either a fever or a cough or one or two other things to a requirement for two elements because, I think I'm right in saying, the testing system was really being flooded by people, many of whom, the vast majority of whom, I think about 93% uh, were testing negative. Yes, and this was becoming a, uh, I suppose, a pressure point in the state's response to 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 the crisis, the the delay in testing, people waiting, as you say, seven to eight to ten days for a test, and you know, and again, this is only anecdotal, but checking in with TDs over the weekend, asking them, you know, what the mood of the public was, and as far as they could ascertain, because they weren't out and about as much as they used to, people said to me on Monday that there was a, a slight degree of concern coming from calls to their offices, emails about the speed at which people could access testing and it was leading to public anxiety. Now, I think what has happened has been following the recommendations of the WHO, but you could imagine that it would, that the state will hope that it helps alleviate that pressure and concern that may have been building among, in the public that has largely, as it seems, been satisfied with the state and the government response to date, that, that changing of the criteria may make the pressure on the system slightly less acute but people are going to need to test over the next while and whether they're satisfied with not being able to get a test remains to be seen. Because there's a balancing act here, isn't there? I mean, confidence in the system is absolutely essential. Not not just confidence in the government. In fact, that's probably the least important thing. But uh, confidence in the in the medical system that's addressing this. So, and at times, you know, you do have to make a, a fairly fundamental, you know, turnaround on a policy like this. Um, is the general impression that? People in Ireland are are willing to go along, not just with the with the measures which have been implemented, but they they have faith in in what's being done for them. Yeah, I think speaking to to you know politicians across all parties, they do say that the that the public has responded well, very well to the what has been asked of them by the government and the state, and there is faith in the state. And I think what has happened is that people have looked to the UK where there was a change of policy very late in the day in recent days over the weekend and to the US and the fact that they are always our reference points because they're English speaking countries, we consume their media, we are aware of what goes on in their political system, that people have had greater faith in the system here. Now that's not to say they wouldn't have faith in the system if different things weren't happening in the US and the UK but yes up to this point there seems to have been a kind of a willingness and a desire to go along and adhere to what has been asked of people to get through this. Now, the, the question that has always been there in the background is, as you saw with Tony Holland's briefing the other evening when he pointed at the curve, and we were very, very early into the curve, does that remain in place as you know people start dying? Uh, the 
kind of fatality count increases. We saw from Donald Trump, you know, talking about re- lifting restrictions around Easter. If other countries start to lift restrictions, does the pressure then apply here from people in the ec- in the business sector or elsewhere to lift restrictions? So I think we're very early in this process still, and those questions we only know the answer to in three or four or five weeks' time. And I think it's an international phenomenon. I think we can see it in a number of places, including Italy, that there is a, you know, a surge in support um, for political leaders, certainly at the outset and in the early stages of crises of this sort. And even actually, I mean, you mentioned uh, United Kingdom and the United States. Um, Boris Johnson, who I would say has not been particularly sure-footed on this matter. Donald Trump, who has been, I would say, absolutely abysmal uh, on this matter. They've both, they're both have some of their highest ratings. Trump has his highest approval ratings of his presidency so far. Yeah, it's, 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 it's at the time of national crisis when people rally to the flag or the state or that's, there's that feeling of, you know, we're in it together. And we see from Leo Varadkar's speeches, speeches of leaders across the world that they invoke that we're all in it together spirit. And that reflects back upon the leaders of the day. As you said, like, you know, Prime Minister Conte had, you know, ratings in the 70s, which is, you know, unheard of at a, at a time of, of normalcy. And you you wonder, can, can that hold? It was only weeks ago that we had a general election. Let's not forget, it was only last month we had a general election where the Overacker's party was given a, a bit of a drubbing. But does that carry through to a government's term of office? Like, this is an emergency time where emergency measures are being implemented. If in six or seven months' time, when the government is trying to bring the country out of that emergency situation, then the choices become stark. So we've seen a bit of fraying along the politi- along the lines of political consensus in recent days, where the teacher yesterday said correctly that the party leaders are taking a broadly supportive approach with each other throughout this process. We saw over the weekend a bit of nipping from Fianna Fáil about what the kind of the, the, at that that point, they called it a kind of a relatively weak economic package. Obviously, that's changed in the last 24 hours. We saw Mary Lou Macdonald always going one step ahead of the government and criticising them for not reacting fast enough. So fast forward five, six weeks when the political consensus may start to fray even further. Does that have an impact on the people's faith in the politician and the politicians who are leading the state's response to that crisis, which at the moment is Simon Coveney, Leo Varadkar, Pascal Dunhill, uh, Heather Humphreys uh, and Simon Harris and others. But for the moment, isn't it true to say, as I think Pat Leahy says in today's Irish Times as well, is that the opposition are essentially irrelevant. Uh, it's a diff- somewhat different dynamic because we have a caretaker government here, but it's still the case, isn't it? What, what, what Michael Martin says and what Mary Lou Macdonald says is very far down the news agenda right now. Yeah, they are, and they know it themselves. The government, like, you know, is an extraordinary situation where we have, to all intents and purposes, a caretaker government taking these extraordinary measures, but they are irrelevant at the moment because the doll has more or less decided that it's moving in lockstep. That while I said there are quib- quibbling about certain policies, they are all working together to pass this legislation through the House. It will go through the House tomorrow. There is an extended sitting of the doll with restricted uh, TDs. There's a stri- sitting of the Shannon on Friday to get this through. So in a situation where everybody's agreed and there is one a set of ministers leading the state's response, they are kind of irrelevant. And I think you can see that kind of reflect in the government formation process, whereby Mary Lou Macdonald seems to me has, you know, is trying to settle into her role as leader of the opposition, presumptive. She's out there, as I said, pushing the government a step further, pushing for a lockdown over the weekend or the closure of non-essential businesses. You see Michal Martin taking a slightly more tentative criticism of the government, probably knowing that he's going to be in government with Fine Gael in a couple of weeks' time. 
the kind of shadows of the future political dynamic across the house are beginning to emerge but yes they are nowhere near the volume and the level they will be at at normal times of political debate and let's just talk about the clock that's ticking there. You had a very interesting piece a couple of days ago about the most senior civil servant in the country, Martin Fraser, talking to the government about something which is coming down the line fairly fast, which is the government's ability to legislate once a a new Senate has been elected, once that election process has been completed. Could you explain that? Yes. Yeah, so this was at one of those meetings of all party leaders that are convened once or twice a week to update various leaders of the parties on the measures the state is taking to combat the coronavirus. So you would have... You know, Leo Varadkar, Micheál Martin, Mary Lou Macdonald, Brendan Howland, Eamon Ryan, Richard Boyd Barrett, Matty McGrath, all these people in a room where they're briefed by the Taoiseach, the Minister for Health, uh, the Secretary General, Martin Fraser. And what he said at that meeting, like this ticking question of the Shannon. So the Shannon election is more or less wrapped up. Uh, councils have been voting this week. Um, the count will take place next week. So at that point, we will have the Shannon, the new Shannon, largely full, barring the Taoiseach's 11. So Taoiseach has to appoint the 11 senators at his discretion to fully constitute the new Shannon. So at the moment, the, the Oireachtas can pass legislation with the new doll and the previous Shannon. That's what's happening this week. From next week on, when new senators get elected, the new 11 need to be appointed. And that cannot happen. The legal advice to the government is that an outgoing Taoiseach cannot appoint 11 senators. So a new Taoiseach with a new mandate from the new doll is needed. And what happened at the meeting in government buildings on Monday was that Martin Fraser, he didn't explicitly say, you must go on and form a government. But the implication of what he was saying was taken by many in the room as a kind of, you know, it's in your gift to solve this problem because you are the leaders of the Oireachtas groups. So what he said was that the advice to him was that the Shannon would not be con- properly constituted from next week on. And that means that the ability to pass emergency legislation is extremely restricted. It's open to challenge. And he specifically said at that meeting that more emergency legislation will be needed. So that is the pressure point that, that people in Fianna Fáil and others in particular are saying will lead the government formation process to a moment where people realise they have to hurry this along because emergency legislation could be needed in the coming weeks and they need constitutionally to be able to pass it. As of Friday evening, or sorry, Monday morning next week, they won't be able to do so. So that's a very loudly clicking, tick, ticking clock, isn't it? It certainly is. And you can see like someone like Martin Fraser, who's, you know, he, he is the state's most senior civil servant. He has to ensure that the state can function correctly. Him delivering a warning like that, albeit coded, a civil servant would never instruct party leaders to go off and form a government, was probably a fairly sharp message to those in the room that you need to hurry this along. It was certainly interpreted by those in the room as that message. And it was certainly heard in that way by people in the room. Those who would be interested in forming a government, I think, walked out of that room realising that we need to kind of get, get, get this process started, speed it up a bit. Now, in saying that, there are meetings today between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. They're shock, uh, exchanging policies. Um, I'm not sure if that happened by video conference. I think they were YouTube. They may not be. But if you speak to people in the Fianna Fáil side, they're aware, and Michal Martin has said this publicly, that the main focus now the state needs to have, the government needs to have, is solving this crisis, is getting to grips with this crisis. But they acknowledge this uh, issue with the Shannon. The Fine Gael side probably, you know, fairly say, we just haven't had the time in the last week or two to 
put our mind to thinking about how we can get a government up and running or agreeing a bare bones program for government or some sort of policy document that could underpin this arrangement so people just haven't had the mental space to 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 deal with this and certainly in the last five days six days the entire as i understand it energies of people in government buildings were on this income package and getting it up and running and getting it right whether they have more space now with that package in place and more restrictions in place for people to go off and talk about a government we'll know over the next week or so but yes there's a very very loud clock ticking and you could imagine in two weeks time if more emergency legislation is needed and there's a question about whether to be open to challenge that won't be a pretty sight if there is a new t-shirt to be elected will it be leo Radker? this is the curious question and this is what the last few weeks have crisis have upended it's almost like the egg timer has been turned upside down three or four weeks ago when, you know, or even two weeks ago, when Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were moving towards this kind of, you know, tentative talks, the assumption would be, my information is that I'm pretty sure that Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin in those face-to-face meetings agreed that there would be a rotating Taoiseach, there would be equal split of ministers, but it was not agreed who would go first. The assumption, the working assumption was always that Michal Martin would be the first to go into the Taoiseach's position because he would probably need it to get through his parliamentary party. He has more TDs at his disposal in Leinster House. But the kind of debate has slightly shifted now because of the nature of the response led by Varadkar and his ministers to this crisis. So we saw last week Eamon Ryan, a letter to leaders, proposed that in his idea of a national government that Leo Varadkar, Simon Coveney and Simon Harris would stay in place. It's not that much of a leap for people in Fine Gael to say, OK, well, if it's going to be a Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Greens or maybe independence government, then that argument still holds that we should be the uh, leading this response because we're there, we have the knowledge, we have the relationships, we've been dealing with this for some time. But people in Fianna Fáil just say that cannot happen. Their view is that, you know, it's not like you're putting a novice in his Taoiseach, Michal Martin, there's no greenhorn, is one more or less said to me the other day, he has served as Minister for Foreign Affairs, he has served as Minister for Health, he has served for Minister for Enterprise, so he knows the terrain. I think that's probably a discussion that would have to be have in a week or two, but certainly Varadkar now is acting like he wants to remain in position, that he is acting like, as Harry McGee said in the paper today, uh, that he has found the desire to govern again. And I think the dynamic has certainly changed in that respect. Whereas two or three weeks ago, it was certainly the case that you would put money and even the odds and the bookies a couple of weeks ago had Michal Martin streets ahead as the favourite to be next Taoiseach. At the weekend, they were even Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin. Just to be clear then, finally, Fiak, when do you expect a new Taoiseach to be uh, elected and a new government to be formed? Um, (laughs) I had always said the May bank holiday weekend um, I thought there would be a government and that was pre-crisis if you like Um, pre-corona there is no great desire to speed this along unnecessarily on behalf of anybody uh, in Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael because they recognise that the government needs space and time to deal with this I think it could be longer than that now, but I do think that you could have a situation where this problem with the Shannon could speed things along. And if there's a need for an emergency budget, like if people need to start thinking about what happens at the end of this 12 week uh, period, like this 3.7 billion package only lasts 12 weeks, what, did, what happens then? An emergency budget could be needed. You could see people thinking harder about that. So I could still see it happening by the May Bank holiday weekend, but it probably could be longer.
And we'll see. And we'll talk again soon. Felix, stay safe. Uh, just before we go, just a quick reminder again that if you'd like to support this podcast and you like the work that Felix and all our other journalists are doing right now, the best way to do that is to subscribe to the Irish Times. All you have to do is go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe where you can sign up for the introductory price of one euro for the first month. And mentioning again also that you can find our sister podcast, Confronting Coronavirus, uh, in our existing Worldview podcast feed, which exactly the same as this podcast, is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Acast and all the other usual ones, and also at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can mail us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and thanks for listening.